This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this holiday season and hope your holiday season is going well as uh, we take a break from our regular hot stove editions of Tribe Talk and back-to-back shows now, special editions, what has become just about a yearly tradition this time of year on our show, a look back at the Indians' last World Series championship back in 1948. I'll be joined throughout the next two weeks by Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, who always has a great historical perspective on how things went at various points in time in Indians history, and certainly the 1948 World Series, no different for Bobby D. So let's get right to it. A lot to get to. We'll have the audio of the radio broadcasts of the 1948 World Series, various highlights and stretches of play, really unique to not only hear the names of some of the greats in Indians history, but also how radio was done back in the day, so to speak. Really interesting stuff, and we hope you enjoy the next two weeks of Tribe Talk. So let's get right to it. Again, Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio joining us, talking about the 1948 World Series, and we pick things up with Game 3, which was the first home game for the Indians in that year's World Series. And as Bobby D says, it was a special year for Tribe fans. Well, one thing fans of today, Rosie, um, should uh, remember. Well, back in 1948, they went 20-6 and six in September, having to... Uh, uh, play the uh, Boston Red Sox in a historic playoff game, the first ever in the American League. But let's uh, just go back to 1948 and, and talk about that baseball team. Um, Tribes coming off a 47 season, a 1947 season, in which they had a winning record. They went 80-74, and 74, but they finished in fourth place, 17 games behind the pennant-winning New York Yankees at that time. And uh, we moved to 1948. Lou Boudreaux's the manager. Uh, he is the player manager of the baseball team. It's his seventh season 
as player manager for the Cleveland Indians. It all began in 1942 at the age of 24. Think about that, Rosie. At the age of 24, Bill Vec tabs him as his player manager, a shortstop, no less, a demanding position. But at 24, he leads a group, um, and he's now in his seventh year and uh, is a 30-year-old leading the Indians uh, eventually on to a World Series. And how they got to that point was unique for that period of time. Extremely unusual during that time that the Indians would have to go through that to get to the World Series. 1948 Indians, they post a record of 96-58, and 58, but it only ties them with the Boston Red Sox for the American League pennant, making necessary uh, the first ever playoff game in American League history. Uh, but before we dive into that historic playoff game and, and the World Series victory, let's share with our uh, audience some fun facts about the 48 season, Rosie, the Tribe scores 140 runs back then in 154 games. You score 800 more runs nowadays, you're you're doing well. Uh, but the, and they only allowed 568. Think about that differential. It's almost 300 uh, run differential, which uh, showed their dominance. 2.6 million fans were attracted to Cleveland Municipal Stadium, tops in the American League. Uh, nobody had attracted that many fans at that time, so obviously Cleveland fans um, really went at it. When you look at at everything that went into this uh, World Series coming to Cleveland for just the second time, they had won it back in 1920, we'll pick up the national radio broadcasts with their pregame show prior to Game 3. The first two games of the World Series were in Boston against the Boston Braves. The team split those two games. But to give you an idea of the feeling in town, we pick up the pregame show with Mel Allen and Jim Britt on the national radio call. And we'll visit again with Bobby D. coming out of our next break. Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports is on the air. From Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Mel Allen with Jim Britt greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Boston Braves and Cleveland Indians get ready for their third game in this 1948 championship series. Gillette is on the air the year-round with on-the-spot reports of leading sports events. Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week every Friday night. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time... In 28 years, the World Series has come to Cleveland. And it has come to them with a suddenness, in a manner of speaking, that set off a celebration on Monday night after the Cleveland Indians had defeated the Boston Red Sox in the American League playoff. It set off a spontaneous celebration that was described by the cab driver that brought us from the railroad station to the ballpark as similar to the VJ Day celebration. There were some 67 cars on several special trains that left Boston last night that brought the World Series working crew, and that, of course, includes the two uh, special baseball teams' trains, to Cleveland. Some of them were a little late getting away. Some of them a little late arriving. But everybody is here, despite the fact that there was uh, a sort of a hurried, last-minute uh, touch to it all. And that's more or less in keeping with the way the Indians won the pennant. They won it at the last minute, 
And so the excitement is still here, uh, sort of left over from Monday, you might say. And the fans are very much, uh, uh, very much excited about seeing their team in a World Series. This is something they've been dreaming about, mind you, since 1920. It was in 1920 that the Cleveland Indians won their last pennant. And let us talk about the Cleveland Indians for just a little while. We talked about the Boston Braves when we opened the World Series up in Boston. And we shall have uh, a lot to say about the Boston Braves, too. But as the series scene shifts from the banks of the Charles River in Boston, from the wigwam of the Boston Braves to the teepee of the Cleveland Indians on the shorefront of Lake Erie in Ohio, we'll talk for the moment about these Cleveland Indians who waged a very successful and exciting pennant campaign to win the American League pennant in overtime. And they have come here to Municipal Stadium today to continue waging warfare against the Boston Braves in this third game of the 1948 World Series. It's going to be Gene Bearden, the left-hander, going against Vern Bickford, a right-hander. Yes, sir, the weather here today is certainly... Oh, there went a... Well, just listen. Couple of rockets. That's a typical Bill Vick demonstration. One of the greatest showmen in baseball. And uh, Bill likes to set off the rockets and the fireworks whenever he has the opportunity. I just started to say the weather today is more conducive to... Uh, to football... And speaking of football, while the Rockets resound in the background, reminds me that my good friend Champ Pickens down in Montgomery, Alabama, is going to have one of the nicest Christmas presents in the pigskin world that you could possibly imagine. The annual Blue-Gray game on December the 25th, which will uh, come to you folks over many of these uh, same uh, mutual stations. That's December the 25th. Champ is getting into the hospital. And uh, I hope he gets out in good shape because... We're all going to look forward to that wonderful football Christmas present, December 25th, the Blue-Gray game, which will come to you under the sponsorship of the Gillette Safety Razor Company over many of these uh, mutual stations. Now the umpires have come to home plate, ladies and gentlemen. The lineups are just about ready. They were a little late in uh, being given out today by the respective managers, but my co-worker, Jim Britt, has them, and uh, he's been running around. In this uh, murky weather, trying to get the lineup for some reason. Or they were, they, there's, all, there's all this confusion, as we mentioned to you in the beginning, because of the late arrival of trains today. And uh, everything is just on a little late basis. So there it is, the scene setter for Game 3 of the 1948 World Series. And when we come back, we'll hear some early action from that game after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. Last time the Indians won the World Championship, defeating the Boston Braves four games to two. And we are going to feature Game 3, the first home game for the Tribe in that year's Fall Classic. In just a moment, we'll pick it up in the top half of the first inning. But uh, Bobby D, just to get there, and we touched on it a little bit in our first segment, 
wasn't easy for the Tribe, despite having a great season. Right, again, 96 wins. Uh, but let's set the scene again for the audience uh, on how we got to the historic playoff game in which Gene Bearden, uh, Lou Boudreau, shocked everyone by naming Gene Bearden the rookie southpaw to start that historic playoff game. Go back to September 19th. The Indians are two and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox. We're playing a Sunday doubleheader at Municipal Stadium. 75,382 fans. 75,382 fans. The Tribe wins both games of the doubleheader. And the Red Sox end up dropping a doubleheader at Detroit. So now the Tribe is just a half a game out of first place with 10 games to go. The Red Sox come to visit Cleveland just a few days later on September 22nd. It's a makeup game, a one-game makeup game on a Wednesday night in Cleveland. 76,772 cheer on Bob Feller as he pitches the tribe to victory. Uh, big walk-up crowd that yeah, night. Big walk-up crowd that night. The two teams are now tied, Rosie, at the top of the American League. The final four games of the uh, 1948 season, the Red Sox end up winning all four. They go 4-0. and The tribe goes 2-2, two and two, and uh, they're tied. Uh, at the end of the season with identical uh, 96 and 58 records. And Lou Boudreau, again, shocks everyone when he chooses Southpaw Gene Bearden to start the game on just one day's rest. Unbelievable. Think about that in today's terms, one day rest. The player manager, Lou Boudreau himself, went four for four in that historic game with two home runs. So um, just one of the more remarkable games in American League history. And you mentioned the name Gene Bearden when the World Series, after beginning in Boston, the home field for the Braves, Game 3 was in Cleveland. The series was tied at one win apiece, and Gene Bearden was on the hill as we pick up the radio broadcast in the top half of the first inning. To review the series so far, Johnny Fain bested Bob Feller in the first game by a score of one to nothing, And yesterday, Bob Lemon came back to pitch superbly against the Boston Braves and set them down with one unearned run at eight hits. While for Boston, Spawn, Barrett, and Potter toiled, Spawn taking the defeat. Tommy Holmes will be the first man up for the National League champions, and he has one hit in eight official trips to the plate. He drove in the winning run in the first game, you'll recall. And today, he'll be looking at something he hasn't seen in the National League, namely a southpaw knuckler, because Bearden throws a good knuckleball. Holmes is a left-hander, left-handed Bearden gets that. Here's the first hit, and it's outside a fastball for ball one. There was no batting practice, nor was there any infield practice because of the inclement weather. The tarpaulin was on the field and was removed only at the last moment, and there were all kinds of wild rumors about the postponement of the game, none of which was based on fact. The outfield is set to the left a bit, and there seems to be apparently no wind. Whatever there is is blowing out toward left center. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes on the first hop to Boudreau. His quick throw to Eddie Robinson is in time for the first out of the game. It was a line drive that kicked up the dirt at the feet of the Cleveland manager. And Tommy Holmes is out, 6-3, to three, short to first. Alvin Dark, the Braves' shortstop, comes up. He has a total of just one hit in eight official trips to the plate. Bearden winds up to pitch to Dark, the first pitch. That took off. That might have been a knuckleball. It was high and wide to a right-handed batter, and the count is one ball. You never saw such confusion in your life as a result of the late arrival of the trains. Cleveland was a veritable madhouse. Bearden winds up, 
Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. One and one. That was a curveball that broke over to a right-hand batter. The wind-up, the pitch. Low for ball two. Two balls, one strike to count. The scoreboard is in dead center field. And because of the batting background, that section is unoccupied. It's all green, and an excellent background is provided for the batters. Bearden takes his wind-up. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. That comes back into the crowd, and the count is two balls and two strikes. In the on-deck circle is Mike McCormick. Jeff Heath, broken ankle and crutches, is still with the Boston Braves. He's a former Clevelander, you know. Two and two, the count on dark. He stands straight away. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It was a curveball. And Dark strikes out. That's the second out of the first inning. And Mike McCormick comes up. Mike McCormick has been at bat six times in the series and has two hits. He got two of the eight hits Boston collected yesterday. And Earl Torgerson, who is not in this batting order, got two more. McCormick is a right-hander from Ventura, California. The outfield straight away, not deep. Here's the pitch from Bearden. And it's a swing and a miss. He threw in a tantalizing slow curveball. McCormick seemed to be off balance and swung rather anemically at it. And the count is one strike. There are two men out, nobody on. The outfield not deep. The deepest is left fielder Dale Mitchell. The pitch. Swing and a miss. Fast curveball that broke down almost in the dirt. Bearden has been great for the Indians this year. The greatest game he pitched was that five-hitter. The payoff game against the Boston Red Sox. Last Monday, the game that brought Cleveland his first league championship in 28 years. Bearden says yes to the sign. Winds up. Fires one. Strike three. Swinging. Bearden turned in a great first inning. No runs, no hits, no errors, and none left for the Braves. The score is nothing-nothing. So the game was scoreless heading to the bottom half of the first inning, but when we come back, we will have some run scoring action in a game the Indians eventually won by a score of 2-0. That was Game 3 of the 1948 World Series, and we'll continue with our coverage. A look back at one of the great memories of Tribe history when we continue on Tribe Talk right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you, joined by Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. The Indians winning the world title four games to two over the Boston Braves. And we are listening in to portions of Game 3, the game underway. We had listened to the top half of the first inning, and we'll pick things up in the bottom of the fourth inning with the Indians in front by a score of one nothing, looking for some insurance. And Bobby D., they... They would get that insurance thanks to an RBI single from Jim Hegan, the Indians catcher, and, and obviously the dad of, of uh, former great broadcaster and, and good friend Mike Hegan. His dad, not necessarily known as a force in the lineup offensively, but, man, what he did behind the plate was something special. Yeah, Mike's dad, uh, Mr. Jim Hegan, was considered the best defensive catcher in baseball at that time. And any offense he gave you was uh, just a cherry on the top of the Sunday and a big RBI in Game 3 of the 48 World Series to uh, um, give the Tribe a 2 nothing lead, uh, that extra insurance run. 
Uh, it was the first World Series game uh, in Cleveland since 1920. Um, 70,000 people were on hand to watch that game. Uh, what a thrilling night it had to be for Mr. Hegan. And when you look at, uh, you had mentioned earlier, the run differential for that year's team and how strong the pitching staff was in addition to having a uh, sometimes prolific offensive lineup. But pitching-wise, he's handling a staff that has Bob Feller, uh, Gene Beard, and Bob Lemon who would pitch the, the clincher in Game 6. These are some names that uh, you need a good catcher back there calling the game, right? Well, Feller and Lemon, uh, they're one, two in strikeouts that year. I mean, just remarkable. Uh, Bob Lemon had a, a remarkable season. He led the league with, believe it or not, 10 shutouts. Bob Lemon pitched 10 shutouts to lead the league that year, 293 innings pitched. Um, yeah, he. Uh, and then he goes on to, to be the uh, catcher uh, for the Big Four in 54. I mean, so Jim was uh, one of the great uh, players in Indians history. Now let's listen in to the bottom half of the fourth inning. Again, it's Game 3 of the 1948 World Series. The Indians and Boston Braves tribe in front by a score of one nothing, heading into the bottom of the fourth as we pick up the action. Cleveland has a one nothing lead. Despite the fact the Indians have been out hit by the Braves, three to one, Bearden has been very effective. The pitch, and that's outside. Keltner was all set to swing and decided to let that fast one go. It's three and nothing. And again, Billy Southworth has given the wag sign to the bullpen, and Bill Boisel starts winding up. He's a big right-hander, the ex-giant. The windup, Bigford pitches, ball four. That's the fifth base on ball Bickford is given in three full innings. He's been wild, but he has been effective. Had there been perfect support, we'd be watching a nothing-nothing baseball game. But Cleveland cashed in the break. In the first game, it was the Braves who cashed in the break. And yesterday, break or not, Lemon was too good. Walt Jednick, the right fielder, is the batter. He got the second base on balls his first time up. He has no hits in four World Series trips. And he's a left-hander. Strike call, a curveball that curved over the outside corner. Walter is wearing a turtleneck sweater, as is Bill McKechnie and as are some of the other Indians. The outfield is deep to the right. Tommy Holmes in right field is out on the track at the 300-foot mark. Bickford takes a stretch. Gellner leads off first. Strike three, swinging. That was a curveball that seemed to take off. It had a liveness about it. And that's the first strikeout for Bickford. One man out. First baseman, Eddie Robinson, comes up. He flied out to left field his first time at that. He has one hit in seven trips. Bickford comes from New Canton, Virginia. A right-hander, he pitches... And there's a drive to left field for a base hit. And it is held to a single with Keltner stopping at second as a result of alert fielding by left fielder Mike McCormick. Three of the Braves went over to back up at third base. That was hit on a line, and it gives Robinson two out of eight for the series. That is the second Cleveland hit. Jim Hegan, the Cleveland catcher, comes up. He has one hit in seven trips. His first time up in this game, 
He fouled out to the catcher. The outfield moves around to the left a bit. Boisel continues to bear down, warming up. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes to center for a big hit. So the Indians had a 2-0 lead over the Boston Braves in Game 3 of the 1948 World Series at the end of four innings of play. And when we come back with the conclusion of this week's show, we'll close it out. We'll head to the top half of the ninth inning, see if the Indians can hang on to that Game 3 lead that they held into the ninth inning. That's all coming your way shortly as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you on our special look back at the 1948 World Series, the Indians' last World Series championship. And we pick things up. It's Game 3 that we're covering this week. We'll get to Game 6 next week, which is the clincher for the Tribe. But this was the first home game at uh, a wild municipal stadium. The place was packed, as you would expect, for a World Series game at uh, the old big ballpark down by the lake. So let's pick things up as we continue heading to the top half of the ninth inning. And uh, let's get right back to it. Mel Allen on the call in the ninth. With the Indians leading by a score of two to nothing, they're trying to take a two games to none lead, or excuse me, a two games to one lead over the Boston Braves. With this, uh, the first of three straight games to be played at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium, and the Tribe heads to the ninth behind Gene Bearden, who stays on with a two nothing lead. Going into the top of the ninth inning at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, and it's the top of the order for the Boston Braves. They trail two to nothing. And it's Tommy Holmes up there, left-hand hitter. 0 for 3 on the afternoon, grounded short, bounced out to the pitcher and grounded second. Gene Bearden throws high inside for ball one to Tommy. Tommy Holmes, a 5'10", 175-pounder from Brooklyn, New York. Lou Boudreau moves Larry Doby over into straightaway center. Larry was over into left center. Kenny Keller laying in close at third in anticipation of a possible bunt. 
Gene Burden delivers. Tommy Holmes looks at a fastball. It's right in there for a call strike. Wasn't too fast. Got the inside corner just above the knees. Joe Gordon's laying two strides to the right of second deep. Eddie Robinson at first base. Wide of the line, about 15 feet. Here's your pitch. Swung on. Hit foul down the third baseline is Tommy Holmes. Trying to hit in the left field. And there's a man leaning over a field box out there trying to get that ball for a souvenir. He not only did not get the ball, but he lost his hat and had to call the stadium attendant over to give him his fedora. One ball, two strikes to count now on Tommy Holmes, leading off in the top of the ninth inning. Outfield shades him slightly toward left. Gene Bearden delivers. Holmes swings and fouls it off to the left of the plate and to the left of our broadcasting booth under the upper deck. And it's a souvenir for somebody. Holmes trying to get the same type of hit as he got in the eighth inning of the first game to win that ball game for the Braves. one nothing. A line drive down the left field line. Left-hander Gene Bearden ready. Throws. Holmes takes that knuckler, but it's inside. And court low, and the count is 2-2. strikes. Top of the ninth inning, two to nothing, favor of Cleveland. Gene Bearden ready. Boy that was born in Helena, Arkansas. Delivers the pitch that swung on, hit back to the mound, grabbed a one hop by Bearden, throws on over to Eddie Robinson, and Tommy Holmes is out. Bearden to Robinson. So there's one down the top of the ninth inning as Al Dark comes to the plate. Bearden lives in Los Angeles, California now, but he was born in Helena, Arkansas. He's sort of a, an Irish Indian extraction. And you know, the uh, weather has uh, brightened beautifully. Lots of blue in the sky now. After all morning rain, sun is out. Gene Bearden ready. Pitching the right hand, hitting Al Dark. Low into the dirt. Ball one. One ball, no strike. Outfield playing dark toward left. Not too extreme. Infield shaded around toward third. Dark struck out, fly to right, and double to left in that order. Bearden into his wind-up throws. There's the pitch that swung on, hit out, over second. There's Gordon in back of the bank, up to the ball, post the first in time, 40 out.
now in 35-minute ball game so far. A rather, rather fast game, as was the first one. Gene Burden throws, pitch high outside. And the count now is one ball, two strikes on Mike McCormick. Two outs in the top of the ninth inning. Cleveland leading the Braves, two to nothing. Gene Bearden, great figure on the mound, into the windup. Brown comes left arm to pitch. It's high outside. Bearden trying to get Mike McCormick to go after a bad pitch. And now Jimmy Hegan decides to call time to walk out to talk to Bearden. Try to settle him down. Come on, Gene, don't try to get over it. Too much in a hurry, just take your time. Two balls, two strikes, two out. We've not had too much uh, confirmation, so to speak, as regards tomorrow's pitchers. Shouldn't be all surprised he may be saying the fellow right back at it. That's uh, sheer speculation at the present time. Now the pitch. And it's high for ball three. It's over the outside corner, but high. So you got a full count now on Mike McCauley. With two down, top of the ninth inning. Nobody on, and the Braves behind two runs. Gene Bearden into his windup, payoff pitch. It swung on and grounded foul off to the left of the plate with Billy Southworth scooping it up. Bob Elliott on deck will hit next if Mike McCormick gets on. The series thus far has been marked primarily by outstanding pitching for the most part. Gene Burden ready. And the payoff pitch is swung on. It's a pop-off out towards short. Lou Boudreaux's under it. So the Indians win it by that 2 nothing score to take a two games to one lead. And uh, Bobby D, the, the series far from over, obviously, but two more games left in Cleveland. And you had mentioned last segment, 70,000 on hand for game three. And uh, that was chump change compared to what they they had the next two games. People turned down in bigger numbers than that, numbers that you'd never see in Major League Baseball. 81,897 packed municipal stadium down on the lakefront for game four on saturday october 9th the cleveland indians again in a pitcher's duel win two to one um just an incredible effort by the tribe steve gromek he outduels johnny sane for the two to one win uh, lou boudreaux one of the hitting stars once again larry doby of course one of the stars of uh, all stars of the 48 club uh, drives in a run with a 410-foot home run. Uh, just it had to be incredibly electric. Just think about it. 81,000 fans in a 2-to-1 ball game where you're hanging on every pitch in a World Series game. That just had to be remarkable. And they packed him in again, but it didn't quite go as expected. No, Bob Feller, unfortunately, did not have a very good day. The uh, the Boston Braves brought out the bats. They unleashed 12 hits in an 11-5 to win. And 
uh, stopped the uh, you know, Cleveland fans from celebrating at home a World Series victory. 86,288 saw Warren Spahn beat Bob Feller in that game, but we had to get it done the very next day, or we were able to get it done the very next day in uh, uh, Boston in Game 6 on uh, Monday, October 11th. Only 40,000 in little uh, Braves field uh, were at the game when the Indians ended up winning 4-3. And that story, the story of Game 6 of the 1948 World Series, will be told next week on another edition of Tribe Talk, our first of the new calendar year, so we hope you can join us then. Until then, for Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio, Brian Matze, and Anthony Alford back at our network studios, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. So catch Indian fever, on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.